hey, there are three words that I despise, detestable words. These three words will spoil a child's birthday. These three words will ruin a family's Christmas morning. They'll create marital tension. They'll humble parents. They'll cause grown men to lose their temper. They'll force late-night trips to Walmart. They'll cost dollars upon dollars of gasoline money. What are these three hated words? Batteries not included. Buy something electric, overlook those three words, and the results can be frightening. Perhaps it's happened to you. You bought what you thought was the perfect present. You were so excited to see it open. Yet you missed them. Right there on the back of the package were those three words. Batteries not included. There's nothing more disheartening than to possess a present that promises to be fun, that might even guarantee a higher standard of living and yet be unable to operate it for a lack of power. And realize the same is true with the words of Jesus. If we just read His words, and if it's left up to us to obey and implement these words, how frustrating it would be. We'd lack the power to put the Bible into practice. But realize, when you read the Bible, the batteries are always included. The author of this book makes His Holy Spirit available to you and to me to help us digest its meaning and discern its implications and even put it into practice. You know, I've heard, the Bible, heard it said that the Bible is a floodlight. It provides me with the big picture. It's a spotlight. It focuses me center stage. It's a security light. It protects me from hidden dangers. It's a street light. It illuminates my path. It's a night light. It drives out my fears. The Bible is a headlight. It keeps me between the white lines of God's will. It's a searchlight. It rescues the lost. And it's a shop light. It finds my problems and it makes those repairs. But as with any light, it has to have a power source. It comes with batteries. Hey, the Lord would never make the mistake that I've so often made and give a power tool without including the batteries. Hey, wherever God calls, He equips. When God asks, He enables. Where God guides, He provides. You could say that the Sermon on the Mount comes with a cord. Rather than just read it and scratch your head and wonder how you'll ever do it, just plug it in. The Bible turns on. The author himself comes to the willing heart and he switches on the power. He helps us understand and then motivates us to do and then fills our hearts with love and then spreads abroad in our hearts the grace of God. So that as you read, you get ready and you are able to do. And this becomes particularly relevant in this morning section of the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We're going to read that verse, verse 12, but we're going to start with the five verses that precede it. Let's begin this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Today's text includes one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 is the Mount Everest of ethics. It's called the golden rule for a reason. Again, let's read it. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The New American Standard words it this way. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Understand, Jesus wasn't the first teacher who insisted on this kind of ideal for human relationships. Other men taught similar sounding principles. For example, the Jewish Talmud read, What is hateful to you, do not to your fellow man. Buddhism had an adage, Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Confucius say, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do unto others. The great, great Greek thinker Socrates put it this way, What stirs your anger when done to you, that do not to others. Another Greek philosopher, Epictetus, he said it like this, What you avoid suffering yourselves, seek not to inflict upon others. But here our Lord Jesus, He takes what men had stated for centuries, and He gives it a new, rejuvenating, even revolutionary twist. What other minds had framed in the negative, Jesus now states in the positive. Don't just avoid doing evil, go out of your way to do good. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You see, morality isn't just a platform from which we can look down on other people and feel superior to everyone else. It's not a lofty perch for good people to stay clean and look good and stay unspotted from the rest of the world. Morality isn't some trophy case for good folks to be displayed and admired by everyone else. No, to the contrary, True morality is love on the offensive. It goes out of its way to help other people, to reach out, to pull up, to hold tight. True morality isn't just dodging sin, it's doing good. Real goodness is always on the lookout for ways to take the initiative and to be a blessing to another person. Recall what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 28. He told the believers... Let him who stole steal no longer. That's the negative. Don't steal. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. In other words, don't just stop stealing. Get a job, man. Make a little money. Do some good. Help some other people out. Don't just stop ripping people off. How about helping people? Go from the thrill of the heist to the thrill of the help. You see, the Christian ethic is more than don't kick me and I won't kick you. 
or live and let live or leave me alone and I'll leave you alone or let's just let bygones be bygones. You know, from an early age, the primary rule that governs our social interactions, I'm talking the principle of the playground, what your mother taught you, keep your hands to yourself. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, reach out a hand to someone in need. The greatest morality isn't just not doing evil, but it's finding ways to reach out and to do good to others. Pastor Tim Brown recounts a visit that he made to the McDonald's in his town. He and his daughter were eating dinner when a man who had been Tim's enemy walked in with his family. This man had hurt Pastor Tim deeply. But he was surprised. He thought he had gotten over it. He was surprised, though, by his feelings. How much anger he still had in him. His anger began to boil. Well, as Tim was leaving the restaurant, he overheard his enemy arguing with his wife. Apparently, neither one of them had brought enough money to pay for their meal. It was a mistake. Tim's first thought was, how wonderful. I'm glad this happened and I'm around to see it. That's when God spoke to Tim's heart. Reminded him of the scripture he'd read that morning. Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. God asked Pastor Tim if he wanted to be free from his hurt. To be healed of his wounds. Reluctantly at first, Tim opened his wallet. He pulled out a $20 bill and he handed it to the man. Pastor Tim writes, with tears in my eyes I told him, here, have lunch on us. Hey, Jesus' golden rule requires us to put ourselves in the other guy's shoes, even if their feet stink. We're forced to identify with his needs and with her feelings. The Hebrew word mercy is defined as the ability to put myself in someone else's skin. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He was love incarnate, in the flesh, in skin. He came as one of us. And now He knows where we hurt and how He can help. He's been where we're at. And when we take the time to listen to another person and try to understand what they're thinking and personalize their concern, and if you will, walk a mile in their shoes, we're showing them the same mercy that Christ has shown us. Once there was a little boy, he pulled into a yard on his bicycle. He saw a sign that said, Puppies for Sale. He asked their owner how much did the puppies cost. They were $10 a piece. He said, can I see them? Well, the man whistled and from around the corner of the house bounded a mother in a litter of cute little puppy dogs. But one sad little pup was dragging behind the others. He was pulling a limp leg behind him. The little boy saw the crippled puppy and then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out 50 cents. That's all he had. He started bargaining with the owner. He says, I'll pay you 50 cents a week if I can have that puppy. The owner was incredulous. He said, I don't understand. We've taken that dog to the vet. He has no hip joint. That puppy will never get better. What do you want with a useless little puppy like that? And that's when the little boy, he looked, reached down. He pulled up his pants legs to reveal the metal brace that was supporting his own twisted leg. And he said, Mister, that pup is going to need someone who understands him to help him in life. Hey, the golden rule doesn't treat, tell us to treat others as we expect to be treated. 
or even as we should be treated. No, it tells us that we should treat others as we want to be treated ourselves. As Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, there's a law in a part of Russia that requires a factory to spill its chemical waste into the same stream from which it draws its water. The company has to take its waste above its intake lines before it's released. Thus, if the company wants pure water for its operation, it has to purify the water it uses before it puts it back in the stream. And Jesus is saying the same about our contribution to the stream of human interaction. Treat others like you want to be treated. Give out the same love you hope comes back to you. How do you like to be treated? (laughs) Do you like to be cut some slack, given the benefit of the doubt? Shown a little patience? I think so. Do you appreciate a hearing before you get tried and sentenced and condemned? Do you like being accepted just as you are? Do you like your opinions respected even if no one agrees? Do you like it when your friend lets you talk and vent your feelings even though they know you don't really mean what you're saying? Hey, do you extend the same grace to them, the same grace that you hope is extended to you? Do you like a cold shoulder or a warm embrace? A snub or a smile? Encouragement or criticism? A kick in the pants or a pat on the back? Mercy or justice? Love or law? Do you want a second chance or a final chance? Verse 12 tells us to take the initiative. Do not just sit back and wait until their treatment of you changes before you change your treatment of them. This is the golden rule, not the wrought iron rule. Love others as you want to be loved, not necessarily as they've loved you. Hey, don't wait on your teenager to take off his headphones before you put down your iPad or your newspaper and start communicating with your child. Don't wait on a grumpy husband to become lovable before you put aside your bitterness and show him love. Don't wait on a kind deed or a hospitable gesture from your neighbor or from your in-laws, before you show love and demonstrate your concern to them. Don't wait on a proud co-worker to ask you for help before you give them some help. Real morality is all about taking the initiative and showing love. It breaks the ice. It makes the first move. I wish I could promise you that when you begin to treat others the way you want to be treated, that they'll reciprocate. But I can't. On occasion it happens. Be a friend and win a friend. Show respect and you'll be respected. In old England, when a family went out of its way to help another, a toast was offered on behalf of the benevolent family. It went like this. When we and ours have it in our power to do for you and yours what you and yours have done for us and ours, then we and ours will do for you and yours what you and yours have done for us and ours. <laughs> I'm sure you followed all that, didn't you? Well, this is what we hope happens, that you and yours do for us and ours. But this isn't the reason that Jesus tells us to treat others as we hope to be treated, or as we want to be treated. Our motive isn't so that they'll reciprocate, or in the end that my situation will improve. Rather, Jesus tells us to live out the golden rule Because it sums up all the law and the prophets. 
He's saying this is the surest way to fulfill God's will for your life. To be just like Jesus. To be aligned with His Word. Love others the way you want to be loved. J.C. Ryle puts it, The golden rule settles a hundred different points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. Jesus took the gist of it all. The theme of 39 Old Testament books. He boiled down the law and the prophets. He sort of freeze-dried it. He shrink-wrapped it into a single phrase. He said, live by this rule. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And you will fulfill all of the moral and ethical goals that God has for your life. In the eyes of God, this is what it means to be ethical. Morality isn't some arbitrary standard. It is the loving treatment of others. Realize the golden rule isn't a matter of convenience. It's a matter of obedience. Again, I wish I could guarantee you that if you live by the golden rule, others will treat you in like manner. But I can't. That's not always what happens. Jesus practiced the golden rule. He never once slipped from its lofty standard. And yet, did those he loved always reciprocate that love? Of course not. They crucified him, in fact. And they may do the same to you. In Matthew 10, verse 24, he tells us, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, or Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? You see, whether people reciprocate or retaliate, it doesn't release me from this commandment. The golden rule is as binding on life's victims as it is on life's victors. Leonard Wolfe was once a knight in the court of France. He was invited by the king to his palace for lunch. This invitation was sent out weeks in advance. A few days after, after issuing the invitation, the king accidentally ran into Wolfe. He rebuked him for not responding, not answering the royal invitation earlier. Wolfe hadn't bothered to send in an acceptance. Well, when he was rebuked, Wolf was shocked. He told the king, he said, Sir, a king's request is not to be answered. A king's request is to be obeyed. He didn't worry about answering it. He was concerned about obeying it. And you and I have not been given the choice of whether this matters to us or not, whether it's convenient for us or not. Hey, the secular world may admire Jesus' golden rule, but we are commanded to obey it. One day, when you have a few moments to sit down and contemplate it, try to think of some other basic principle that if everyone in the world put into practice, that it would change the world's ills faster than the golden rule. I mean, amazingly, this one dictum has the potential for eliminating all our problems. Economic, political, social and yet, how many people you know really try and live by the golden rule? It has such potential, but it often gets wasted, does it not? We've heard it. In fact, we know it. Most of us can quote it, but so few of us really try to live it out. In fact, the skeptics seem to have a field day trying to tarnish the golden rule. You've heard people say, well, today there's a new golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. 
Or they'll quote the ugly spin. Do unto others before they do unto you. Or even do unto the other fellow as you expect him to do unto you. Just do it to him first. Literally hurt him before he has a chance to hurt you. Why is it we take something as beautiful as the golden rule and, and we allow it to be scorned and ridiculed and even mocked? Why don't we hold it up as an ideal for everyone? Well, I think there's a simple answer for the skepticism. We really don't believe it's possible. You see, most people see the golden rule as unattainable. Oh, they like it theoretically, but practically they see it as impossible. They don't realize that the golden rule comes with batteries. God packages it with batteries included. Notice the first word here in verse 12. Therefore. It's a conjunction. It bridges between thoughts. It links what comes before with what comes after. Notice verses 7 through 11. They're a blank check, a carte blanche assurance of God's blessing. Just ask, just seek, just knock. And God promises to give. He even says He loves to give. And you see, Jesus ties this assurance to the golden rule. You could call verses 7 through 11 gas for the golden rule. If you want to live by this principle, here are the batteries that make it possible. Here's the power cord, you could say. Before you throw up your arms and walk away in defeat, sorry, I just don't have it in me. I can't live this. Have you looked for the batteries inside? Have you plugged into the power that God makes available? In verse 7, Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. You think you can't treat others the way you want to be treated. That it's just not in you. And that's fine, you're in good company. It's not in any of us. Until we ask and seek and knock, then God will give us exactly what's needed to keep His command. In our own strength, we can never live out the golden rule. But remember Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The golden rule requires a love greater than anything I can muster. A love of supernatural variety. An imported love straight from God's throne of grace. I might be able to keep the negative version of the golden rule. That wrought iron rule. Stay away from me and I'll stay away from you. Keep my hands to myself. Mind my own business. That might be possible. But to initiate love, to go out of my way for someone I don't even know, or better yet, someone I know and don't really like, man, I need help. I need the batteries. You know, traffic laws require that you obey the speed limits, that you drive in your own lane. You stop at traffic lights and stop signs and a host of other laws. And they're all designed to keep you from injuring other motorists. But the law can't require you to be nice, can it? The law can't require you to let the other guy pass who's already cut you off twice. Or not to slow down intentionally for the guy who's been tailgating you for the last two miles. It can't cause you to stop to help somebody with a flat tire. Or force you to pull off the side of the road and help somebody push their car 
their stalled car off the road. This type of kindness can't be legislated. It springs up from within. It comes from our hearts. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. God's work in us. Romans 5 verse 5 tells us, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And this is what we need. We need a poured out love. We should all remember that the God who commands the golden rule isn't some tyrant demanding perfection from his subjects. He's a loving father who likes to give good gifts to his kids. Who wants to give us his very best. I've learned a lot about the heart of a father from my dad. To this day, when we go out to eat, dad usually pays for dinner. On occasion, he'll slip me a $20 bill. Or even pay for my golf. It makes me feel real guilty when I beat him. And now this is how I treat my kids. Nick called me just this past week and he said, Dad, where do you want to eat? Since you're going to pay for it, you get to decide. That's exactly what he said. I appreciated his generosity. He knows that if his dad can, his dad will. There's a French proverb that defines a dad. A father is a banker provided by nature. This is the point that Jesus is making. Even fallen fathers, sinful dads, enjoying giving good stuff to their kids, especially their grandkids. Years ago now, when Nick was still in elementary school, he approached his mom about him and his older brother Zach staying up past her bedtime. Of course, Kathy, she nixed his request. The boys needed a good night's sleep. When Nick went back to his big brother Zach to inform him of the verdict, I was actually in the other room deliberately eavesdropping on their conversation. When all of a sudden Zach started scolding his little brother, he said, Nick, I told you to ask Dad, not Mom. <laughs> Even then I had a reputation. But it's not just me. Fathers in general are renowned for indulging their kids with good gifts. And with grandkids, it's off the chain. If Colt or Luke asked me for bread, I wouldn't tell them to chew on a stone. We'd go to the Cold Stone Creamery for ice cream. That's where we'd go. If Kate or Q or Grant asked for a fish, hey, I wouldn't hand them a snake. If it's fish they want, it's fish they'll get. We'll spend the whole day at the aquarium. If my grandkids are thirsty and ask me for something to drink, forget the milk. That's Grandma's job. I'll pop open a Coca-Cola. This is just how G-Daddy rolls. For the grandkids, I'm going to go above and beyond. And if I, a sinful, selfish, greedy human being, feel this way toward my kids, how much more do you think that a flawless Heavenly Father loves His kids and will give them all that they need? In Ephesians 3 verse 20, Paul writes of God, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, the Father delights in giving to us. If you need grace and love and power to keep this golden rule, you can count on God to give you all that you need. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Ask, seek, knock, and the Father will provide. Once a wealthy woman, she made a million-dollar donation to Chicago University. Well, Northwestern University is also in Chicago. 
And when the president of Northwestern heard about her generous gift, he was upset. He knew this lady. In fact, he considered her to be a good friend. One day he asked her, he said, Look, why haven't you made that kind of a donation to our fine institution? The lady's answer was simple. She said, Well, you never asked. We struggle and we lack for the exact same reason. We've never asked. James 4 verse 3 states, You do not have because you do not ask. Have you asked God to flood your soul with the love you need to live out verse 12, the golden rule? Hey, we need to take to heart this whole business of asking and seeking and knocking. You remember when Abraham, the father of our faith, prayed for God to spare the city of Sodom? All of a sudden, the horse trader came out in him. I mean, he started bargaining with God. You talk about chutzpah. He started out with 50. He said, God, if there are just 50 righteous souls in the city, will you spare that city? God said, yes. But then Abraham started bargaining. He got him down to 45, and then he got God down to 40, and then 30, and then 20, and then 10. I wonder if Abraham had pushed God further if he wouldn't have aborted his plan altogether. You see, one truth stands out in that story. Abraham kept asking, and God kept granting. I think we need to learn to ask. All too often, we're too busy, or we're too proud to ask. We're so bullish on doing it ourselves, we never stoop to ask. Charles Swindoll, he makes an interesting observation about this whole matter of asking and seeking and knocking. He writes, no mumbo-jumbo, no need to bargain, beg, plead, or pay penance, no incantations, no secret password, nothing but the most difficult thing for high-tech, super-efficient, uptight, and overachieving souls to do. Just ask in simple faith. If you need power from on high to obey God, then why not you just ask for it? And if you want to break this down further, asking implies dependence. Seeking involves desire. And knocking, that emphasizes determination. And here are three ingredients of an effective prayer life. Dependence and desire and determination. This comes out in a literal translation of verse 8. It reads, for everyone who keeps on asking receives. And he who keeps on seeking finds. And he who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. There's a progression. I mean, think of an adult child who needs money. Well, at first, the proud child you know, doesn't really want to admit his need. He, he might ask mom and dad if the opportunity arises. But then when the deadline becomes imminent, all of a sudden, he's going to track them down. He's going to seek them out. And then when his desire turns to desperation, he's going to knock on their door and try to bug the money out of his parents. And quite frankly, God also wants to be bugged. He loves to be sought by desperate folk, not too proud to ask. It's the self-sufficient heart that turns God off. Jesus once told a parable about a man who had an unexpected guest arrive in the middle of the night. He had to borrow bread. So he went next door to his neighbor's house. But his neighbor was already in bed. 
His neighbors shouted at the guy on his doorstep to bug off until the next morning. But this breadless host, he was desperate. He kept banging and beating on the door. He was making a scene until the guy got out of bed and loaned him some bread. The situation had become an embarrassment to the man. And yet Jesus holds up this story as an example of effective prayer. Jesus even compliments the man who was on the doorstep beating and pounding on the door. He compliments him on his importunity. Or literally his shameless persistence. And it pleases God to get us to the point where our desire is greater than our pride. You see, when a man's desperation overwhelms his sophistication, then he'll ask, and he'll seek, and he'll knock. In Luke 11, on another occasion, Jesus gave a similar teaching on asking and seeking and knocking. But he ended the passage with a more direct application. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And isn't that what we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Luke, Jesus cuts to the chase. He gets to the point. Here's why you should ask and seek and knock. For when a man gets to the end of himself, when he gets desperate to obey, then there is spiritual power waiting for him. God's greatest gift to us is the Holy Spirit. In 1899, a man opened up a butcher shop in Colorado. He later branched out with a small chain of department stores that he called the Golden Rule Store. His goal was to treat his customers as he would want to be treated himself. Well, the stock market crash of 1929 came along and this man lost everything. He had a nervous breakdown. He was signed into the Battle Creek Sanitarium. And while in the sanitarium, one day he heard the hymn being sung, God will take care of you. That truth struck his heart. He believed in Jesus and he became a born-again Christian. And now, with the power to live the golden rule, his chain of golden rule stores began to grow. The golden rule chain eventually numbered 1,660 department stores. In fact, it later changed its name. Its founder died in 1971 with a personal wealth of $24 million. And his name? James Cash Penny. And looking back on his life, J.C. Penny wrote, I lost everything, but I learned never to compromise. I would rather be known as a Christian than a merchant. Hey, people will tell you that in our dog-eat-dog world, the golden rule is just an unrealistic principle to live by. They don't know that batteries come included. That we have a Father in heaven who loves us and who wants to give us all that we need to do His will and to keep His commandments. God loves to infuse ordinary lives with extraordinary love and power and strength. So, why don't you ask and seek and knock and then take the love that God gives you and initiate loving others, loving the people around you. Let's treat others the way we want to be treated.